Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We have a great show lined up for this evening. I've got Dr. Michael Brown with me today. And Michael, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Jan. Thank you. Yeah, it's pronounced Jan. But uh, just, uh, and uh, you know, you had sent me a copy of your your uh, book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. Good read. I definitely recommend people reading it. You have a new version of this book coming out soon. And uh, you published this when in the 1990s, correct? 1992, and it's been continuously in print. It's been translated into more languages than any book that I wrote. And the publisher approached me a year ago and said, hey, it stayed, it's been in print this whole time. Why don't we do a revised updated edition? So we did that, worked hard on it. And it's kind of shocking, Jan, to, um, to note that a lot of the things that we talked about from the past are happening again now. And some of the things that seem like they could never again happen in Europe or never happen in America, they're happening now in terms of the rising tide of, of anti-Semitism. And it's as irrational as ever. Yeah, well, you know, and I had fallen into a lot of it. And, uh, you know, in January, I started a, a long series with Lloyd DeYoung going into all this, which you're aware of. And uh, that was uh, kind of over that series when you and I started speaking. And then uh, I have also done three shows with Guy Todd uh, investigating more of this stuff. And, and what we've found is all of this Nazism, uh, and we just did a show last Wednesday uh, going into the all of the ties between the Nazis and Islam. And then uh, Lloyd DeYoung and I had covered this as well. You know, uh, uh, Hitler worked with the Grand Mufti and uh, of Palestine. And then you had, you know, I used to live in in Yugoslavia back in the 90s, you know, before you or after you wrote this <laughs> 30 years ago, you wrote this thing. But, you know, in, in Yugoslavia, everybody was aware of the Bosnian Muslim Hanjar and how they were the, the Waffen SS's largest uh, division. And they would hold throat slicing contests and things like this to see how many orthodox christians that they could kill in a day i think that or in an hour or something like that i think the record was like 300 but you know this stuff was standard knowledge when i uh lived in serbia during the war i was there with my living with my ex-wife and her family and we i would live there every summer and pretty much what i did the whole summer was just study and help her her brother uh with his work but uh and uh speaking of uh, they just show up in the uh in the chat there but um you know so this, you know, I fell into a lot of the propaganda for years and then doing this series on Islam. And of course, I became a Christian in 2017 and began reading everything and realizing, hey, you know, everything has been inverted. And, uh, you know, white is black, black is white, up is down, etc. And then I started realizing, wow, um, uh, that the the whole thing was really bait and switched from Islam onto the Jews. They want people to not worry about 1.4 or 1.8 billion Muslims and focus on 16 you know, million Jews as the bane of all of the world's problems and uh, nothing else. And you are actually a, a Christian minister and you were born Jewish. You, and in your book, you talk about uh, you know, how you were a heroin junkie and on LSD and smoking weed and things like that. And you uh, woke up to Christ one day. You want to discuss that as we uh, get going here? Yeah, sure. The fascinating thing these days 
is when the anti-Semites come out of the woodwork and I reference that I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus, I'm told, well, no, then you can't be a follower of Jesus, that you're just this crypto Jew who's in, in, invaded the church secretly to undermine. I mean, these bizarre, wild things. Again, it's not surprising because I've documented for years. It's, it's still a bit of a shock to the system when the most bizarre imaginable things are said about you. You, you know, I, I have regularly now been accused of being a secret Mossad agent who infiltrated- I get that almost church. daily yeah. and a crypto Zionist <laughs> and yada, yeah, yada, yada. Zionist shell, of course, and all that. So any, anyway, what happened was uh, I was raised in a conservative Jewish home on Long Island, born in Manhattan, raised on Long Island. And conservative Judaism is, is very much liberal. It's not conservative in terms of morality and ethics. It's just the name given to conserve traditions while going in a more liberal direction. So I would be kind of raised like a, a nominal Catholic or a nominal Presbyterian that would go to religious services a few times a year, and that was it. So as a Jew, I knew there's the others, you know, the, the, the Christian kids and the Gentile, the, the others, and there's, there's our community, Jewish, but we weren't religious. So I was bar mitzvah at 13, but it was more of a social event than a spiritual event for me, to be honest. And because I started playing drums when I was eight years old, and remember, this is the 60s. That's an old saying. If you remember the 60s, you weren't there. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm an expert on the counterculture and exposing okay. all that, too. So Exactly. All right. So I was I got caught up in that whole spirit of the age. I, I saw Jimi Hendrix in concert when I was 13. And that was it was like a spiritually impacting event for me. And that's that's what opened up the door. I want to be like the rock stars and do what they did and play drums in a famous rock band. So I started getting high at the age of 14, discovered that I had a very high resistance to drugs, which meant I could do more drugs than others. And it, as a foolish teenager, that became kind of a calling card. So I got known as Drug Bear and Iron Man and was doing LSD and speed and heroin. So even things that were unusual for the hippie type, I got into. And then at the age of 16, uh, my two best friends, one nominal Russian Orthodox, the other nominal Methodist, they started going to a little gospel preaching church because they liked two girls who were going. The girls were going because their uncle was the pastor. Their dad had been praying for them. I went in August of 71 to pull them out because they were starting to change. And I thought that's going to break up our band. And I didn't like that. I went to pull them out and God began to deal with me. And the interesting thing, <laughs> is, you know, I, I was uh, totally into the rock drug scene. So I saw Hendrix again. I saw Jim Morrison and the Doors, Janis Joplin, the Who performed Rock Opera Tomry, the Zeppelin numerous times, Grateful Dead, Jethro Tull numerous times. And all the big bands. And one after another, I, I, I saw them. I just lived for that. And here I am in this little church. They don't have all the amplification and equipment, you know, and all the contemporary sounds we're used to today. Just pastor's wife playing piano, these little ditty hymns. But God started dealing with me. These people started praying for me. The things I was boasting about one day, I started feeling very uncomfortable about the next day. And at the end of the year, I, I realized Jesus really died for me. This is, this is real and true. Now I had a battle because I didn't want to change. I, I loved doing drugs and living in sin, but God's love penetrated my heart. I was radically transformed. December 17th of 71, I said, I'll never put a needle in my arm again. I was free from that night on. And then when my dad saw the change in my life, he was thrilled, but he said, Michael, we're Jews. We don't believe this. So he brought me to the local rabbi. The local rabbi befriended me and started to challenge me. You know, and who, who are you to teach us? And you can't even read Hebrew. 
And even though I was reading the Bible in English day and night, you know, I was challenged by him and other rabbis. So that led to me majoring in Hebrew in college, ultimately getting a PhD in Semitic languages from New York University. But along the way, really early on in my journey, this rabbi gave me a book about anti-Semitism in church history. And it was a real shocker because the Christians in this little church, they loved me as a Jew and they seemed to, to love the Jewish people. We, we, we wanted everyone to know about Jesus. We said, yes, Jews need to believe in Jesus like everybody else, but they seem to have a real love for Israel. And as I've traveled around the world, I've been outside the United States about 200 trips and traveled all over the nations. I've met Christian after Christian after Christian that prays for the Jewish people, that has a real love for Israel. Doesn't mean accepting everything Israel does or, or, or defending everything Israel does, but it's the opposite of the anti-Semitism I read about in church history. But I wrote this book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, to help other Christians know how many Jews look at Jesus, look at the church, the negative view they have, how they think there's a straight line from Jesus to the Holocaust because of what's often been done by professing Christians in Jesus' name. But the real shocker is that what I documented in the book in 92 and read about 47 years ago, I'm seeing virtually every single day, not just among left-wing Christians, but among right-wing conservative Christians, some of the old junk, the old garbage, the old lies being regurgitated today. And it's a shocker. It is a real shocker, especially now with the internet, that everybody can express their views instantly. And, and I'll just say this, if you remember in 2015, right after the Obergefell decision in the Supreme Court, when it redefined marriage, it, it, it empowered people to come out and say they were, they were pro-same-sex marriage, they were pro-gay. Now that the court had said it, people that were kind of on the sidelines felt emboldened to say, that's how I feel too. And you Christians are bigoted for rejecting it. Well, you have more and more prominent voices coming out with the same anti-Semitic vitriol. And with that, it's emboldened people to kind of come out of the woodwork and they are everywhere. Right now in your, in your chat room as well, but they are, they are out there. And, and they don't understand that it's about natural law rather than killing off your family tree, you know, and promoting eugenics. And that's what the real agenda is. And that's the same with the, uh, you know, the 60s psychedelic drug rock counterculture, which I've done probably 200 shows exposing, is that was designed for the purpose that it got you caught into was to get kids on drugs and hypersexualized to wreck their lives so that they wouldn't have families and wouldn't do anything with themselves. And so many you know, of the youth wipe out and die from sticking needles and things in their arms and, and don't get out of it like you did. But, uh, you know, and, and, uh, several months, a couple of months ago, I had sent you a paper that I've been working on as well about uh, the Talmud. And I've been going through looking at all of these, these fake quotes that, uh, you know, are spread all over the internet. And they started some of them started in like 1700. A lot of them came around about 1892 or so uh, by this, uh, and now I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, this defrocked uh, Catholic priest out of Russia. And uh, he had put a book out, you know, and you can always tell when they're fakes because, you know, the Talmud, and I had, you know, and I had wanted to go in and verify these quotes for years. I just figured, well, they got citations. They must be true. You know, but then, you know, with Lloyd Young back in January, he and I started checking some of them. And right away, about two, we realized about two thirds of them were either taken out of context or totally fake. 
But, you know, the Talmud is a set of law books, essentially. That's primarily what they are. It's a lot of legalese. And what, so what they'll do is they'll take one line or, or one, se- you know, one sentence from the Talmud, and they'll quote that, and then they'll omit the surrounding, you know, 10 pages of context, uh, depending on what the case may be, and then spin this whole thing that the Talmud is the most evil book ever written, and then use that as justification for all of their their hatred. So going in and, and reading all of this was really a big eye-opener. And then uh, I found about uh, two-thirds of the quotes were outright faked, completely made up. Probably 20% aren't from the Talmud. They might be from the Midrash or some other book. Or you know, some of them were even, you know, from books from the turn or, you know, from early in the 1900s, and all of this stuff is heaped up and then claimed it's the Talmud, and then this is used as justification for why all Jews should be killed. You know, and, and today anybody can go online and they can read the Talmud for themselves, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, there's a, a, a watered-down, only-for-goy version that, you know, in the real Talmud is only brought out on Friday nights under a full moon, and it's kept, you know, 100 feet or 100 stories below street level. And, you know, they have these these secret, uh, you know, Jewish gatherings where the real Talmud is brought out. But, you know, what people don't get, and of course I'm being sarcastic, but what people don't understand is that two-thirds of these so-called quotes you can find in the Talmud, but they're taken out of context, you know, and you, and you see people doing this with the Bible often, too. They'll cite one little line and take the surrounding text out of context. And so if you go in and you just read the entire passage and, you know, what the whole thing says, you realize that all of this is a fraud, you know. And so these guys like this defrocked Catholic priest, he did this. And, and you begin to notice the pattern, you know, once you've, you've spent you know, 20, 30, 40 hours studying this stuff as, as a Christian, you know, of course, as soon as I started fact checking all of these quotes, I was accused of being a Jewish Mossad agent, sellout Zionist, all of this stuff by these hack moron trolls out there. You know, you can't, never mind that, that Christians worship truth and, 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 you know, by being a Christian, I had to check this stuff and make sure, you know, Satan is the father of all lies. I didn't want to be spreading false information. And as soon as I realized it was false, I came out and I corrected myself and said, whoa, this stuff is not true. And so then you're a sellout and all this stuff. But, you know, the, the, the quotes, many of them are there. But as soon as you read the context, you realize that it's these are legal discussions. It would be like lawyers going back and forth over a whole discussion. You have, let's say, a defendant who says, you know, uh, you know, we got to kill all the Gentiles. And then, you know, lawyer one says this, lawyer two says that, lawyer three says that, and it goes on and on until it reaches a logical conclusion. But people are too lazy today to crack a book and verify if what they're spreading is true. You know, so then, you know, that led to reaching out to you and reading this and all of that. And I'm still going to get this paper published. It's, you know, it ended up it's now about a hundred pages, you know, and I didn't expect it to be that, but, you know, and then I, I just one more comment here about it. And then I'm going to wrap, get, you know, pass it back over to you. But, uh, so as I was going through all of these quotes, 98.6% ended up being false with one of them and being true, uh, which was the Jews 
should destroy the books of the Christians. Okay, oh, whoa, 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 let's all freak out now, everybody. Um, never mind, the Christians say they should destroy all the books of the Jews, right? Actually burn the Talmudic books, right? And, and burn right. the Talmudic books, etc. But then I had the idea, I wonder, you know, and I had spent two, two and a half months verifying all of these quotes, and then I, you know, I said, hmm, I wonder if I could find these quotes in the Islamic texts. And it took me two days to find 75% of these false accusations against the Jews to actually find them in the Islamic texts. You know, so that was a big eye-opener. And so you see the whole bait-and-switch going on there. Yeah, and, and let me start with your last point. That was the most fascinating thing to me. I, I have three years of classical Arabic. I can read the Quran slowly in Arabic and have some decent background in Islamic literature, but I've not specialized in it at all. And uh, I have friends who have, and I lean on them more and then do my research. So when I started to go through your document and found the very charges that were being brought against Judaism, really found in Islam, that, that was a real eye-opener to me on many fronts. I was not aware of that. But to, to give my own intersection here, and that, that also connects me with, with what you folks are doing, um, I have written five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. There's nothing like this that's been done. It's, it's kind of the, the gold standard in Jewish apologetics because it didn't exist. You know, when people say you're, you're the world's number one Messianic Jewish apologist, they used to say you're number one among one. It was just a massive need. You know, I said, it's like playing center on the pygmy basketball team. You don't have to be too tall to do it. So it had to be done. But because of that, I've gotten singled out in the Jewish community. I've been called public enemy number one for our outreach work to Jewish people in America and increasingly in Israel as well, to the point that when my 94-year-old mom passed away a few years back in 2016, I got a call from a rabbi. Uh, she was going to be buried at a cemetery in New Jersey next to my dad. My sister's not a follower of Jesus. She wanted a reform rabbi there to do the ceremony, liberal rabbi. So I, I told the cemetery and they said, great, we'll, have, we'll set that up. I then get a call from the rabbi and the rabbi wanted me to know that he had no problem doing my mother's funeral and that the cemetery called him and said, will you have an issue? This is a liberal rabbi. Will you have an issue doing this funeral? Because it's the mother of Dr. Michael Brown. That's how notorious I am in terms of Jewish outreach. And yet the moment then I set the record straight about the Talmud. I, too, am a sellout, not truly a follower of Jesus. Volume five in the series is over 300 pages, and it details why I reject the Talmud, why I am not a Talmudic Jew, why I reject Talmudic authority, why I see the Talmud going in a different direction than Scripture. 300 pages of doing that. And yet, when I say, no, no, but the Talmud doesn't say this, and it doesn't say this, I'm now a sellout. And ignorant of it. Oh, by the way, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu just texted me. He said, we're doing a great job, but don't blow our cover. So we got to be really careful. Just let you know. <laughs> uh, okay, but back, back to the Talmud. The easiest way... Ladies and to gentlemen, he's joking, by the way, for those of you who don't get that. No, you can't take that statement and edit it out of context. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Uh, Freudian slip, I'll be told. All right, so, so any, anyhow... And look, my last time in Israel, a time before last, I was arrested. 
uh, some counter missionaries started harassing me. I decided I'm not going to leave if they're harassing. Next thing I'm surrounded by ultra-Orthodox Jews. I'm preaching Jesus to them. They're spitting on the ground in anger because of who they think he is and, and all of this. So uh, anyway, I mean, if, if people didn't take it seriously, it's, it's utterly laughable. But you see where these things go over the years. So when you get back to the Talmud, here's what folks need to, to understand. The, the Talmud is not a book. If, if I was at my, my office, uh, my, my studio office, uh, another location, I have, I have um, the, the, Talmud, the set of the Talmud there. Now it's, it's my, my house all online. But that's 20 volumes, uh, 20 large volumes. And with the commentaries and the commentaries and the commentaries, millions and millions and millions of words, tremendously complex and difficult. And the Mishnah is, is the foundational document. That's six volumes. So there's six uh, tractate, excuse me, six orders of the Mishnah divided into 63 tractates. So the tractates would be similar to like a book of the Bible and then the, the orders, the larger subdivisions. That, that it comes out a little after 200 of this era. And then two to 300 years after that, what's called the Jerusalem Talmud is edited in its final form. And then the Babylonian Talmud, which is the more authoritative one, that's finished between five and 600. And the easy way to destroy all the lies about the Talmud is to say to someone, okay, well, the Babylonian Talmud begins with the first order, Zra'im, seeds, which is agricultural. And it only carries one tractate from that brachot which deals with benedictions, prayers, things like that. So let's start on the very opening page of Brachot. The Talmud always starts on page two because you're, you're joining an ongoing discussion. I guarantee you, most people will drop out within seconds. Those who persevere to within minutes will be the, the rare ones. Those who actually get through a, a few pages of the Talmud, <laughs> scratching their heads is, what am I reading? What is this the most confusing and the law and the back and the forth and the discussion and the quoting of a scripture and trying to tie it in with the law and, and, and on and on almost endlessly. And then you'll go through all of Brachot and you won't find a single statement dealing with any of these issues because this is, these are not. It goes off written. into something irrelevant and then comes back like 10 exactly. chapters later. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Just I must be a real exception because I've actually managed to work my way through probably six or 700 pages of it. Yeah. And, which uh, is... You know, and it, you know, it was like, okay, staying up late at night. And I think you told me, uh, one time, the Talmud is something you read, you know, rather than counting sheep so you can sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for your average person, uh, when you're learning it in yeshiva, I didn't have that background, but I've studied many hours with rabbis and, and taught myself and things like that. You know, there's a complexity and a logic and all of this, and, and, and folks really get caught up with it. And if here, for your average Christian, take what seemed to be the most boring parts of the Torah, Maybe regulations about the animal sacrifices, you take this much, then a handful of this, mix it in, or very, very specific laws about an oath. And if you make this oath when it, or that oath, and you kind of read those a little faster because they seem a little boring. Well, that's what the Talmud is, except in a thousand times more detail saying, well, study of the law, that should be our delight. Our delight should be in the law of the Lord. So it's studied literally day and night by the, by the hour. And then from that, different laws, customs are, are developed. So it's really easy to take things out of context. Really, really easy to do it. Really, really easy to misunderstand. And one example that I've used for years is, is that, and, and again, I'm not here to defend the Talmud. I'm not a Talmudic Jew. 
I, I, I am in constant battle with the rabbinic community about who Jesus is. Constant day and night interacting uh, in, in respectful way for the most part, but I have more than my share of, of haters who stand against me. And they'll say to me, our forefathers died rather than believe what you believe. You not only believe it, but you're spreading your lies. So I'm not defending the Talmud, but when it's lied about, and when those lies provoke Jew hatred, then I'll explain it. Right. So, you know, we're told that according to the Talmud, if, if a, a girl under three years old is raped, that it's nothing. And the Talmud actually says those words, it's, it's nothing. Well, what, what does it mean? Well, the courts convene different days of, of the week. And if you were getting married and you were a virgin, there was a day of the week when virgins were married. Let's say you were getting remarried, your first husband had died, you were getting remarried. There was a day when non-virgins were married. So the question is, what would be the status of a girl who was sexually violated before she was three years old? Should she be considered a virgin? And the answer is yes. It would be just like if she was uh, injured by a you know branch of a tree and, and broken. And what they do, what these what these idiots do is they will take that whole discussion out of context and say that the Talmud justifies pedophilia. No, exactly. The, the whole conversation, which I've read this over and over, the whole conversation, like you said, is about whether when the when the girl grows up and she yeah. is an adult. And she is choosing her husband. She decides, by the way, when and if she should be married. If she should get full bride, bride price of 200 dinars or half bride price of 100 dinars. And uh, if, if, she's, if she gets full bride price of 200 dinars, she is considered a virgin. So if the child is molested before three years in a day, she gets full bride price. If she's molested after three years in a day, she gets half bride prize. And so this whole thing is is spun against the Jews. And I mean, you know, once you start reading it, the lies are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And, and uh, I recently interacted with Reverend Ted Pike, who still believes these things. And on his website, he's saying he's got page after page after page of documentation. I say, can you read Hebrew or Aramaic? No, he doesn't need to. And, and by the way, it's really difficult stuff. In other words, unless you really know the literature well, it's difficult to understand. Now, some of the sources that you folks have used, more readily available, are expanded translations by ultra-Orthodox rabbis and scholars so that you can really dig deeper and, and find out what's being said. In other words, you don't have to be a Talmudic scholar. Anybody can use these sources and understand but when I, when I addressed this on the, on the air, when I saw these things circulating, I, I noticed a comment. I don't see a lot of the comments on our YouTube page, but I noticed comments from this Lloyd fellow who was explaining exactly what the passages meant. And I said, who is this guy? It doesn't sound like a Jewish name. And he's, he's got it exactly right. Well, according, and that's how I found out about, about you folks. We began to interact when I cited him and you reached out to me. And then I was, I was thrilled to hear your own story and journey. But I had Ted Pike on the air, oh, just maybe two months ago, and he still holds to these things. He actually wrote a book in, in 1984. And let me see if I can just grab this, this quote here. He, he said that when the Christians in the Middle Ages, here, um, uh, let's see, we have unearthed irrefutable evidence, irrefutable evidence 
that Israel is a dominant and moving force behind the present and coming evils of our day. To our amazement, we find that Israel is not that trusty, familiar friend we thought we had known. Rather, she is a misshapen facsimile of everything we had so fondly bid God speak to. We are at last confronted with a monstrous system of evil, which, if unresisted, will destroy us and our children and bring the entire world into such darkness, oppression, and satanic dominion that only the coming of Jesus Christ can make it right again. And according to Pike, the reason that medieval Christians persecuted and killed Jews is that they were so, these moral Christians were so appalled at the Jewish practice of pedophilia that they killed them. And he he believes these things to this day and is an evangelical reverend. It's it's shocking and mind-boggling. And then you add in the latest thing, which again, like where in the world is this coming from? That the other secret weapon of the Jews is the seven laws of Noah by which they are now going to bring the Christian world and kept tap into captivity and then start beheading us. Right. And you, and you, and you read the, the Noahide uh, material from the old Testament, by the way, folks, uh, what is it? Numbers, Deuteronomy, something like that, but it's the foundation of the, uh, 10 commandments. It's like five or six of the 10 commandments, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, etc. You know, and then so what they'll do is they'll say, well, that, you know, that one line about, you know, thou shalt not uh, uh, have uh, idol worship, worship idols. You know, they'll take that to say, well, that means that there is a grand conspiracy that they're immediately going to kill, go out and kill all Christians. Yeah. And and again, the thing that's so interesting there, I'm fully aware of the discussion within Judaism as to whether Christianity is idolatry or not, The, the prevailing view through the centuries has been that for a Jew, it's idolatry. For a Gentile, it's not idolatry. There are some that hold it's, it's idolatry for, for Christians as well. But the, the majority of those who are, who are putting forward the Noahide laws, their presupposition is that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all agree on these basic seven principles, which rabbinic exegesis derives from Genesis 2 and Genesis 9, and then read some things into it uh, to get the text there. As you said, laws against idolatry, blasphemy, uh, stealing, uh, adultery, murder, uh, the call to establish courts, and then a, a dietary law not to eat the limb of, of a living animal. Now, those are the basic Noahide laws. But the ones that are putting them forth are saying, hey, this is a great way to just put forth morality in a way that the, the monotheistic religions agree on. In other words, these are the ones who do not believe Christianity is idolatry. But even those who do, there's no notion that they're going to go around beheading people. Rather, their view is that when the Messiah comes, the traditional Jewish Messiah, and establishes his kingdom on the earth, that he will enforce the Torah. So he'll enforce Sabbath observance, he'll enforce these other things. As I was talking to one ultra-Orthodox rabbi, he says, no, who's talking about killing? What are you talking about? He felt the whole thing completely baffling. I talked to another guy who has a whole organization, a Jewish friend who has a whole organization pushing the Noahide laws. And he said, what a wacky idea that, that Christians don't hold it. Where did that come from? But if, if we get back to the Talmud, sorry for the Noahide tangent, here's something to think about. You know Peter Schaefer's book, Jesus in the Talmud, that, that he believes that some of the very derogatory references in the Talmud to, to Balaam actually refer to Jesus when it speaks, right. speaks and to Balaam. And, and never mind that bit, what is that? And I have the document here, but that's all, uh, that's to numbers, what is it, or no, Deuteronomy 23 or something like that. 
And that's an Old Testament false prophet. And then what they do is they make this astounding leap of logic to try to claim that it's actually talking about Jesus. Yes, I mean, the argument is that the Jews could not freely write and speak against Jesus, whom they called Yeshu, which is then a derogatory name. So instead they use code names like Balaam or something else. Even if it was true, even if it was true, that the Talmud said that Jesus is burning an excrement in hell right now. Even if that was true, I asked, I did a Twitter survey and I, I asked folks, do you believe that Muhammad is a false prophet? If you're a Christian, do you believe he's a false prophet? And if so, do you believe he's in hell now? It was like 90 something percent said, yes, they do. So I thought, okay, is, isn't that interesting? They think it's perfectly fine for them as Christians to say that Muhammad is a false prophet and he's burning in hell. But if a traditional Jew said that Jesus was a false prophet and burning in hell, then, then, then we need to, to burn the Talmuds. It's like, why is it fair for you and not fair for someone else? I'm not defending it. If the Talmud said it, that's grievous and horrific and proves that Jews need Jesus. But the thing that's so outrageous is that Christians have no problem. Do you think Buddha's in hell? Yes. Do you think Muhammad's in hell? Yes. <laughs> They've got no problem saying that. And for another religion, if they said, if they said it, that Jesus was in hell, they're completely outraged by it. But the, the bottom line is, the scary thing is that there's no rationality here. There's no ability to sit down and look at actual facts. And when something takes on legs, you, know, you mentioned the, the Talmud on mass by Prinitis, you know, that's the volume you were referring to earlier. The thing gets out there. What I spotted years ago was these books attacking the Talmud were found on sites like Radio Islam. I didn't make the other connection that you did, that the false accusations against the, the Talmud and the Jewish people can be rightly applied to Islam and Muslims. But I, I did see, isn't that fascinating, that the websites that most commonly carried attacks on the Talmud were Islamic websites purport, putting forth this false doctrine. I just didn't make the next leap. Yeah, uh, that's, that's exactly make. right. You know, and then you realize that, uh, you know, the Nazis, the neo-Nazis and the... Uh, Islamists use the exact same talking points. They'll start out with banking, USS Liberty, you know, and then they just, you know, 9-11 wasn't done by Islam because, you know, brown people only have box cutters and they live in caves, you know, and, <laughs> and who does this idiotic rhetoric benefit, you know, and then uh, anything that Israel does is, you know, is to take over the entire world. And then never mind, you've got Islamists, the Muslim Brotherhood is over 100 million strong and is the largest terrorist organization in the world. There's what, 16 million Jews in the world, 100, or you have uh, 1.8 billion estimated Muslims. And, but Muslims, they don't have money. No, no, none of the money from oil, none of the money from anything. They're stupid. They, you know, they can't count. Never mind that their best are sent to our universities. And, uh, you know, they're, they're absolutely no threat. You, you know, there's all of these talk shows out there, uh, Adam Green, Ryan Dawson, et cetera, where they're, you know, they promote all of this. Uh, they're, they're apologists for Islam and defending anything that Islam does. Never mind that if you read their own texts, these things are openly discussed, what are falsely accused of the Jews. But, you know, if we present this information we're cuck shills sellouts etc 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 i mean they can't support their claims with primary citations so then as soon as they realize that hey we've checked 
the Talmud, and I pulled it up here a second ago, when they realized that we've actually checked the Talmud and discovered all of these things is false, then you know, then you're immediately name called at with all manner of lies. If a Jew finds an object lost by a genteel heathen, it does, it does not have to be returned to him. And then, you know, what I had to do was to prove these knuckleheads wrong. Was actually cite every single paragraph in the yep. Talmud for people to click on and read for themselves because there were so many lies going on about it. And then, you know, what I did is I started going through and, and, and comparing each single line directly to the Islamic text. And like I said, you know, it took me two days to verify 75% of them is Islam. And I've, I spent over, you know, two, two and a half months just working on, on these fake, uh, you know, Talmud or taking out a uh, quote, you know, or taking out of context to so-called quotes. You know, but, uh, you know, it's it's it gets to the level of absurd. Do you mind if I ask you about uh, E. Michael Jones and that whole fiasco? No, 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 please. Let's do it. All right. Well, you know, a couple of people have brought him up in the chat today. And of course, uh, you know, you had him on and you sent me the conversation. I've had E. Michael Jones on my show three or four times over the years. And. uh you know, he comes across at first as a good, you know, Logos-believing Christian, but then, you know, he starts going through all of the same talking points that the Islamists do, you know, and, and the Jews are the crux of all evil and yada, yada, yada. But uh, what happened between you two and what was the breakdown of that? You know, apparently he's accusing you of, of falsely editing the show to make him, you know, say things that he didn't actually say and this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's quite remarkable, maybe beyond remarkable. So I had known of his work many years ago on the culture wars, uh, Dionysius Rising, one of his books, I believe that's the title. And, and I had read him and enjoyed what I had read and his strong moral stance and things like that. You know, a few things maybe went further than, than I would have gone, but I, I enjoyed it. So I got his book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, was intrigued by the title, this you know, big fat book. And, and he's, he's a scholarly guy, he's done a lot of research and all of that. And as I began to read it, I was like, okay, interesting. I think, wait a second, what? what? This is the standard anti-Semitic libel about this, about this. I, I was in a state of shock. Then uh, someone sent me clips from conservative comedian Owen Benjamin and some of his rants that really you have to categorize as anti-Semitic. I just wrote an article, it's on my website, sdrbrown.org. It's not anti-Semitic to criticize Israel. It's to criticize Israel fairly, to criticize the Jewish people fairly, it's not anti-Semitic. To say Jews have a disproportionate influence in American society, that's not anti-Semitic. To say, boy, they're, you know, American Jews seem so liberal and often on the wrong side of moral cultural issues, that's not anti-Semitic. When you demonize the people as a whole, when you mischaracterize, when you falsely spread rumors about a people, then that's being anti-Semitic. So anyway, that led me to E. Michael Jones because folks said, yeah, he's been influencing Owen Benjamin as well. So we reached out to him. He immediately said, yes, by all means, he would come on my show. And I said, look, here's the deal. Let us be totally candid with each other. I'm going to tell my listeners and viewers, we're going to be totally candid. And if we, if we make them uncomfortable, that's okay. But we're going to be totally candid with each other in our differences. He said, great, let's do it. So I asked him at the outset to define anti-Semitism. 
He defined it as racial only. He gave the origins of the word the, in the mid-1800s and said it's racial only, but today you're an anti-Semite if you criticize anything about the Jews, etc. And then he gave his overall position, and I immediately, the very first interchange, said that to me is an anti-Semitic viewpoint. I said it very graciously because we were going to have a conversation. That to me is an anti-Semitic position. And I came back to it later on in the show and reemphasized that his views as he was putting them forth, that based on his quotation of 1 Thessalonians 2 and his understanding of Paul's words, that the Jews killed Christ, the Jews are displeasing to God, the Jews are hostile to all mankind, and he does not have to nuance that in any way. I said that to me is an anti-Semitic and, and how many Jews were at Christ's execution? So wouldn't that, you know, couple of hundred be the guilty party, not all Jews? <laughs> well, what about the Jews followed Christ because all of his followers were Jews? Is that a true right. statement? Yeah. The Jews followed Christ. So yeah, it, you know, and they don't even get that as well, you know, it's like. Right. So I was trying to explain how Paul's words in First Thessalonians 2 should be better understood based on other scholars, including Catholic scholars, which, which he rejected outright. Okay. In any event, the interview ended. He's, he thanked me for it. He said, it's good that we're having the discussion. At least we start. So I felt good that we had the discussion. I didn't debate him. I was not trying to refute him. I was having friendly interaction. If I was in a debate mode, it would have been very different, but that was not the purpose of it. It was, it was candid, civil interaction. Afterwards, he thanked me for it. We emailed each other. Everything was great. Okay. And I thought, all right, there it is. Now, the next thing, as soon as we posted the video, his supporters started swarming in. And of course, because I'm not Catholic, because I'm evangelical, I'm not Catholic, I'm not a Christian. Because I say I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus, I'm doubly not a Christian. But then all of the litany of lies, it just came flooding in. Doesn't, he, doesn't half, three quarters, most of the New Testament deal with converting Jews to Christianity? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's a little anachronistic to say it like that, but the whole, the foundational message is that Jesus came for the Jewish people first and foremost, that if Jesus is not for the Jews, he's not for anybody, you know? So in, in any way, in any case, um, he, he then posted the video on his page, which was perfectly fine. I'm glad he did. And it was like, like... 2,000 likes to two dislikes. I mean, everybody was totally, Dr. Jones, you're amazing, you're brilliant, and you, you, know, you expose this Jew's lies and all of this. So subsequently, I had said to him during the show that your type of rhetoric, Dr. Jones, it leads to, it has led to violence against Jews in the past. If you don't nuance what you're saying, that these things lead to violence. After the synagogue shooting in California, where it, it almost sounded as if the guy was quoting the position of Dr. Jones and his like. I brought it up and I said, look, the shooter is guilty, not Dr. Jones, not anybody else. The shooter alone is guilty. And he's Presbyterian, not Catholic anyway. I said, he's guilty, but this is the very thing I've been warning about, that this type of rhetoric leads people to commit these atrocities. And I said, here's where I gave the warning. So I give the warning and we, we play a clip of the video. And I'm talking, and on the split screen, there's Dr. Jones, right? And then we end the video at the end of, of my warning. And then I said, and, and he, when I appealed to him to nuance what he was saying, his view is basically thanks, but no thanks. You know, I, I wanted to say what he said in response, but the whole thing, I played different clips of me. This one just happened to have him sitting there. 
So next thing, he's on all these videos and back with Owen Benjamin. Yeah, and Brown, he edited the video as if I had nothing to say. And Brown did this. And he, and he had, calls me an anti-Semite after the show. I thought, Dr. Jones, number one, the video of our interview is right there on our website. It's unedited. I've never edited it. We don't do it. There it is. Watch it. Thousands have watched it. And more thousands have watched it on your page. There it is. That's number one. Number two, I wasn't editing out what you said. I was playing a clip of what I said. You happen to be on the screen, but I play And just to, out of deference, to be polite, I wanted everyone to know that he refused my offer to, to nuance what he was saying. He, he rejected my suggestion. So I emailed him and he, he came right back. You edited that video. You made it look like I had nothing to say. I said, Dr. Jones, that's not the case. He said, well, you need to retract your position that I'm anti-Semitic. I said, Dr. Jones, I believe your position is. Why don't <laughs> we do a debate? That was my why don't you and I do a debate as to whether your position is anti-Semitic or not? And that's where it's ended. But I'm, I'm almost every day here. Someone tweets me the other day. Let, let me just find it. I mean, because this is now the, the latest Internet myth. Um, I had tweeted about a, a bill, in, a resolution in California. I was taking in, uh, issue with it. And somebody tweets, isn't this the Jewish, quote, Christian? So not really Christian who wants to put mainstream Christians in jail for believing that the church is Israel today. So I'll tell you where that lie comes from. And then I responded. And then someone else writes back, oh, you're the guy that edited the Michael Jones video and didn't have the guts <laughs> to call him an anti-Semite. It's like, what are you? So oh, yeah. And they, I, they never mind that Satan is the father of all lies. They just stack them high, don't they? Right. And, and this idea that, quote, I want to put mainstream Christians in jail for believing that the church is Israel today. There are some members of Congress who want to make certain forms of speech or standing against Israel illegal, you know, to, to make it illegal to be part of the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, sanctions against Israel, or that say that that anti-Semitic speech would be a crime. I've never I've never stood for that. I've never opted for that, you know, for making it illegal to, you know, it's freedom of speech in our country. I, obviously, that, I've never, never come to, I've never made a statement having anything to do with that. But now, because somebody said it, somehow I support it. And if you have a different theology than I do, I want you to go to jail. So, I mean, sometimes just for the sake of truth and to make things into teachable moments, I respond. I actually did a video where I quote Owen Benjamin. I quote Michael Jones because the two of them did a video bashing me. And I said, here, let's set the record straight, point for point for point for point. So you know what that proves? I'm lying. <laughs> because they say I said two plus two equals 11, and I show the video. No, here's where I said two plus two equals four. That proves you're a lying Jew and can't be trusted. And, and, and the scary is it's not a problem for me. I mean, I get lied about 24-7. I take it as a compliment that I'm on the right path and that we're making a difference. But the scary thing is, this is the type of stuff that gets spread about a people that opens the door to atrocities. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, studying this Talmud stuff and going through your book. Now, I recommend the audience who spews all of the same neo-Nazi Islamic talking points, you know, that they read your book because you do go through and tackle many of those points. And I'm sure you're, you're 29 years or 27 years updated version will have even more of the stuff. Yes, in it. But, but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, once you realize, okay, you know, they'll, they'll use the same talking points and they'll say, okay, banking or usury or, 
you know, like I said, USS Liberty or whatever, you address banking in here. And never mind that the Bible says that, uh, you know, the Jews are only supposed to charge int- uh, usury to their enemies. So, you know, that should be a point that ought to cue people in right there. It's like, well, maybe you should stop spreading false lies about them, you know. And, uh, you know, because if you're an enemy, you know, what does that say? But also usury today, I mean, money is free and people, they sign on the dotted line and then they say, well, ah, they're evil for loaning me money when I took out my credit card of that car car loan or whatever that I put my name on it. So it's their fault for me doing it, even though I signed the thing. And then never mind that interest rates and these things are lower than they've ever been. And if you pay the money off at a certain time frame, you get the loan for free. So, yeah, you, know, you know, they're basically giving out free money, but it's not just Jews who are bankers, you know, and people will say, oh, well, Islam is pure because and they'll they'll ignore all the references to pedophilia, to murder, to slavery, et cetera. And they'll say, well, Islam is pure because they don't allow usury, you know. Mm. Well, you know, the, the thing that's remarkable through much of Jewish history, Jews have been uh, anything but uh, in, in dominance in terms of leading the societies. They've often been persecuted and kicked out of countries and things like that. And, you know, just for example, uh, if, if someone watches Fiddler on the Roof and sees the poverty, sees the pogroms, that's, that's been the way the Jews have lived through history. One reason that many Jews got into banking is because they were forbidden from having other jobs. Uh, Martin Luther's counsel to the German princes in, in, his, in his mini book that, that uh, concerning the Jews and their lies was to deprive Jews of good jobs. The, sectors of the Catholic Church had previously done that at times. Well, one of the things that Jews could do was bank. And, and they, they became very strong in the banking industry. And what, what I look at is that Jews have been called by God to have a world-changing impact. And, and we either get it right or we get it wrong. In other words, we have a disproportionate influence for our population. So you have the Jews like Paul and Peter. You have the ancient Israelites like Moses and Isaiah. Jesus himself being a Jew. So the Jewish influence on the world for good is like no other people on the planet. And then you have Jews like Karl Marx or, you know, who, who get, uh, you know, who gets 60 million people killed. Right. Or, but, but or he's, you know, he's technically an atheist. I mean, you know, he was a Judean. Could you really, yes. you know, call him a Jew or he may have even been a Gomerite, but you know, well, no, here, here's the thing. He came from a line of rabbis, but the, when Jews, and this is what I was trying to tell Dr. Jones, when Jews have a negative impact on society, be it a George Soros, be it a, a Howard Stern. And, and, and he's a crypto Islamist and, he, you know, and he worked with the Nazis, admittedly. So, so when, you, when you look at Jews having a negative societal influence, it's actually when they get away from the Talmud. When they get away from the law, otherwise they kind of live in their own communities and seek to live by their laws and everyone thinks they're weird and stuff like that. But the main thing is let us alone and let us live our, let us live our lives as opposed to world domination. But in, in my new edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, I have the most crazy, bizarre quotes. Uh, evangelical author Tex Mars, for example, not only did he reprint the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, not only did he reprint Luther's Concerning the Jews and Their Lives, 
but he's got several books against the evil Talmud and Kabbalah and saying that's what's in the Kabbalah, in the Talmud, that the Jews are going to take over the entire world and kill everybody else. I mean, it's it's crazy. And, and, and meanwhile, you don't even have to hunt for it in the Islamic texts. You know, I mean, it's out in the open in the Quran and, and, and Hadith and, and Sharia law, et cetera. But they want us to think that, you know, the, the secret quotes in the, uh, the Talmud are the most evil. Now, what do you say about, uh, you know, like the porn industry and think, you know, this is another one. Oh, well, the Jews are responsible for all porn. Yeah. Well, uh, ob- obviously, if, if you go back to the the father of the sexual revolution, that's Alfred Kinsey. Right. And Alfred Kinsey he was, was a pedophile. <laughs> right. He was, a, he, he was the definition of a pervert. I mean, that's that's who he was. But he was raised in a strict Christian home and rebelled against his strict Christianity that's, that's part of why he did what he did. He is certainly the father of the sexual revolution. And if there's a second father of the sexual revolution, it's Hugh Hefner, who also rebelled against the strict Christian upbringing. Uh, neither of these men are Jews. Now, are there a, a number of Jews that have been key leaders in the porn industry? Yeah, there, there have. Again, it's a simple principle that, that when Jews, obviously if a Jew follows Jesus, that's wonderful. Praise God, that's, that's the best and we rejoice. But when Jews live a traditional Jewish life, they tend to have lower crime rates. They tend to have lower divorce rates. They tend to have lower rates of sexually transmitted diseases, drug abuse in their communities, much, much less than other parts of of the society. And, And they are, if they're using porn, it's secret like anybody else. In other words, these are not the ones who are driving they're, it. They're not the, tal- the Torah-worshipping Jews that would do that stuff in the first place. And when it's, you, exactly. They're not it, following exactly. the law. It's not Judaism. It's they're atheists. It's, exactly. they're, so, they're Sabbateans, when they, etc. When they break away from traditional Judaism, and again, I am not a traditional Jew. I preach to traditional Jews that they need to follow Jesus. But when the Jews who have the negative influence be it the Karl Marxes, be it the Al Goldsteins in porn, I think that was one of the guys, be it uh, George Soros. It's when they break away from traditional Judaism and break away from Talmudic teaching and Torah teaching. Otherwise, they wouldn't be touching any of these things. Yeah, so again, uh, there are, there are it, it, Larry Flint, right? Another key guy in, in, in porn. Was, was he Jewish? No. So Larry Flint, you Hefner, Alfred Kinsey, so the, some of the fathers and the father of the sexual revolution, none of them Jews. So have Jews had an influence in porn and may have some control in porn today? Yeah, but what does that have to do with the thesis that, say, say True News, Rick Wiles puts out on, on True News, again, another evangelical Christian, saying that, that the sexual revolution was a Zionist act. It was a Zionist propaganda and Zionist-driven sexual revolution. This, this is madness. It is absolute madness. Oh, and by the way, True news, just go through it, whether it's the USS Liberty, whether it's it's I, one of the recent ones, ISIS didn't really exist. This is all Israel. The standard lies, there they are being regurgitated. Uh, the chat is going crazy with the typical lies. And, of course, you know, Islam has always got to be portrayed as the poor victim. You know, they, they're never responsible for any of their own behavior. The Jews or the Catholics or somebody – invented Islam and made all of the uh, Middle Easterners that way. You know, it's always somebody else's responsibility. Um, let's see, somebody else uh, just said, uh, somebody, uh, uh, what are they saying? 
Oh, Muslims accept Christ, though. It's not, no, they don't accept Christ. They have a system called abrogation, where they'll say something nice in the beginning of the Quran and then refute it afterward. But they actually say that all kafir or non-Muslims should be killed. And, well, yeah, uh, I mean, bottom line with, yeah, here's the deal. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. And they profess him as Messiah, but they do not believe he died on the cross. They do not believe he rose from the dead. They do not believe he's the son of God. And they do not believe in, in the Trinity. So they do not believe in the Jesus of the New Testament. They, they believe in a different it's version. A, it's, a, it's a Gnostic Christ, actually. Yeah, and doesn't really even have a, a, a personhood to him. It would be like saying, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Jan is a great guy. And Jan is actually a, a black man from uh, from Switzerland. You know, it's, if I create a different person, what does it matter? Right, if exactly. Use... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, and when you go in and you actually study the Islamic text, and I, I don't read and write Hebrew or Arabic like you, but uh, just reading them in English, it's mind-blowing. You know, as you saw my document, putting all this stuff together and putting it line by line where people can find these exact quotes— it's startling what Islam really believes. And then, you know, spending two and a half months digging through the Talmud, trying to find the, the evilness in it that makes it the most evil book or series of books ever written and not being able to find anything. You know, it's like, OK, so then if these things are not in Judaism, why are Islamists pretending that they are? And why does Islam have 75 percent of these ideas in their own text? And then the next question comes up, why are they deflecting it onto the Jews? And why do they openly claim that all Jews should be killed? You know, and so yeah, I, I mean, look, here's here's something interesting. You, you mentioned the, the Grand Mufti of, of Jerusalem right. previously, uh, Hajamin al-Husseini, uh, that was a confidant of, of Hitler. And, and a general I mean, for Hitler, too. Yeah, if, if there's a fascinating book, Icon of Evil, which is a full length study of Hajimin al-Husseini, a good, solid academic study that's that's been done. But Hitler and the Nazi propagandists understood that there were centuries of Islamic anti-Semitism. Now, I understand there are peace-loving Muslims. I understand there are Muslims who say that we're misinterpreting the text, but there is well, a- come on. I, I've read it. Those are actually the bad Muslims. They would be considered kafir themselves. Right. They'd be considered liberal, right, and denying the authority of the text, etc. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, Hitler and the Nazi propagandists understood that there was a history of Islamic anti-Semitism. So it was back maybe in 2012, if my memory serves me right, that the current Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was, was giving a speech for the Palestinian Authority and quoted the famous Hadith that the, the resurrection, the end of the age will not come until the Jews are destroyed. And that the, the, the famous text says that a Jew will be hiding behind a tree and the tree will say, there's a Jew behind me, kill him. And, and I was waiting for people of conscience, uh, Muslims of conscience, Palestinian Christians of conscience, to get up publicly and refute this and say, we denounce these comments. And this is not who we are. And this is not our spirit. And this is not what we believe. But it didn't happen. And again, you, you, you have to understand, yeah, I, I fully recognize, I spent time with, with Palestinian Christians in particular, that they, they don't want to kill Jews. I understand that. And you have more secular Muslims just want to live in peace. But the, the, the big problem for Palestinians is radical Islam. The big problem for Palestinians is that the Jews are demonized. Hamas wants to destroy the Jewish people living in Israel. That remains a goal. 
you know, during some of the protests months back, you know, they said last year, you know, we'll tear your heart out and eat it. There is that level of, of anger and vitriol, and they can find support in their traditional texts for it. Whereas you, know, you, you have, to, have to ask this question. I'm fully aware that the first persecutions in the New Testament were Jews who did not believe in Jesus persecuting Jews who did. So that's what Saul of Tarsus, Paul, was, was doing. We have that through the book of Acts. I know in early church history that you have instances of the Jewish community standing with the Romans or others and, and, and stirring up persecution against Christians. Today in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox Jews really oppose the spread of the gospel in their country. They look at people like me as enemies. I understand that. I'm not whitewashing that. And, and a lot of Jews are converting to Christianity now. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, always a steady stream of Jews coming to faith in Jesus, maybe three, 400,000 in the world today. Still, that's, that's a fraction of the overall population. And within Israel, maybe about 30,000. So with 6 million Jews in Israel, what that's, that's one half of, of 1%, something like that. It's, it's still a minority. But yes, on a regular basis, it's always been through history, but an increase in recent years of Jews coming to faith in Jesus. So I'm, I'm not whitewashing Judaism. I'm not, I, I'm not whitewashing Israel. I understand the issues. I'm simply refuting lies about the Jewish people, just as you are. Look, if somebody lied about Islam and the lies were, were costing Muslims their lives, I would say this is a lie. If, if someone was lying about gay activists and those lies were costing the gay activists their lives, I would speak out against those lies. But, but somehow, isn't, isn't standing in truth what Christians are supposed to do? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and that's the issue. You know, you can see someone's loyalty sometimes, like Solomon did a test to see when, when two women claimed that, that a living baby was theirs and the dead baby was the other person's. He said, all right, let's bring the living baby up here. We'll cut it in two and we'll give half to each. Well, the mother, whose baby it really was, said, no, 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 give her the baby. And Solomon said, okay, you're obviously the mother. What strikes me here is when people have to decide between believing lies about the Talmud or welcoming someone as a brother in Jesus who is an orthodox believer, they will choose believing lies about the Talmud. When they have to choose between a New Testament ethic and believing lies about the Jews, they'll believe the lies about the Jews. And it, it's remarkable. And almost every day on the radio, I say, hey, call me. If you're a critic, call me. Let's yeah, talk. Here, here's, here's some of the mindless drivel we have to uh, deal with. John Brisson says, Jan, when did you receive your cash, your Council for National Policy card in the mail for having this CNP neocon on? <laughs> All right, that's a new one for me. So I'm a CNP neocon. Well, you, you know, and here's the thing is these people not even grasping that Satan is the father of all lies will spew such retarded nonsense to justify their poor thinking and the and the nonsense they believe because they don't have the intellectual capacity to fact check and study things for themselves you know so you know you are a neocon whatever you know we're you know i mean i haven't been called a a jewish zionist uh mossad agent sellout for like uh, somebody did it uh, right before the show but for like you know an hour now yeah, and, and I'm wondering, you know, John, that just posted this, how am I a neocon? If you could first define that, I don't even know the, the NC, CNP thing, but how, how am I a neocon? I'm just curious to know what I've said tonight 
all right? When I'm a strong moral conservative, I've written many books with moral conservative viewpoints, get blasted. I'm on the SPLC's hate list and on the uh, Human Rights Campaign hate list and Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. I'm on their <laughs> hate list. So what have I done to be a neocon? That's what I'm curious about. When you actually ask for facts see, and information. See, now now he, he's going to double down in his stupidity. Brown is a member of the CNP and author at CNP Town Hall. See, you know, these... What's... what's Okay, so C, what is CNP? Uh, it's apparently... Wait, he set it up above. It's Council for National Policy. I mean, it's just dumb stuff. Let's let's move on. It's just stupid yeah. trolls. Uh, okay, so hang on. One Council of the mods, ban, just mods please or, ban the stupid. Is an umbrella organization and networking group for social conservative activists in the United States. I've never heard of it. So I'm a member of it. Cool. And I apparently I got a card in the mail. Sweet, sweet. And, and by the way, yeah, I, I write articles. My articles appear all over the internet, including Town Hall, which is a conservative site. But <laughs> anyway, fascinating. Oh, oh, oh here, here's a point that you also deal with in your book here. Uh, so Jews are bad because they were kicked out of 109 countries. Yep. So first thing, the, the 109, the fact that everybody uses the same country, uh, the same number, tells you they all got it from the same bogus source. All right. So, I mean, just 109 is an exaggerated number. But is it true, for example, in 1492, that the Jews were kicked out of Spain. Yes. Had they been kicked out of other countries? Yes. Why? Because of Christian or Islamic persecution. For example, all non-baptized Jews were expelled from Spain in 1492. You know what this would be like? A black kid is shipped to 100 different white supremacist schools and is kicked out of every one of them for being black, which proves blacks are evil, which proves there's something wrong with blacks. The, and, and most of the folks that posted say, we want 110 next. We want America to be next to kick out these dirty Jews. So the fact that Jews have been persecuted for refusing to convert to Christianity or Islam is, is evidence of the evil. Right. Yeah. It, you know, exactly. it's, a, it's a cart before the horse fallacy, it, yep. you know, and it's not to say that Jews are innocent of any wrongdoing forever and ever. Amen. That's not what we're saying. But, nope. you know, what we're saying is that, you know, the. The stuff that spread from the Talmud, you know, like we already quoted, uh, uh, you know, we already discussed the porn industry, banking, etc. Um, and in fact, I think, uh, you know, uh, do, do you know, have you researched the USS Liberty? I know somebody in the chat has for me, but have you ever researched that? Uh, only only a little bit. I've, I've read some of it. And by the way, if Israel was guilty of something, of a crime, and it hurt America, if Jewish people were guilty, so be it. In other words, I, I'm the last one to hold my, old, my own people guiltless. But from everything I could find about it, I didn't do serious research on it. But again, the, the exaggerated charges to demonize Israel. I'd love to know what, what you discovered, though. Well, uh, somebody in the chat here had sent me a note a couple of months ago. They were looking into it for me, and they had found that apparently Lyndon Johnson and Israel were doing a false flag together to be able to drag us into a war against Egypt. Right. So, you know, and so, uh, you know, the USS Liberty is then, you know, uh, touted around as another excuse for how evil the Jews are now. You know, and like I said, I bought into all of this stuff before, but you do have to go into more depth. So what about 
Bolshevism and the murder of who knows God, God knows how many millions of Russians were killed from Bolshevism. Do you care to address that? Yeah, sure. All right. So who suffered terribly under communism? The Jewish people who was oppressed and, well, both and Christians as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Totally, totally. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but the, the, it was illegal to practice Judaism in, in Russia. It's, it's a large reason that so many Russian Jews ended up becoming atheists. But religious Jews were persecuted. Religious Jews were targeted. Stalin had a special hatred for the Jewish people. So as communism developed, it developed as anything but Jew friendly. Were there certain ideological people at the base of communism that were that were secular Jews? Absolutely. Like the Karl Marxists and things like that. There what were about Tolstoy? Uh, in terms of his own background? Yeah. Wasn't he Jewish? I could be wrong, but. Yeah, I mean, and you had certain people, be it Lenin or that had some Jewish blood. So again, it's the exact same principle we've been talking about, that Jews, because of gifting and calling, can have a disproportionate influence for good or bad, but they don't control the world. If they control the world, they wouldn't have been slaughtered six million out of nine million Jews in, 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 uh, under the, the Nazis. You wouldn't have had three out of three point. 3 million Jews, so 9 out of 10 slaughtered in Poland under the Nazis. You wouldn't have had the massive slaughter of Jews under the communists. You wouldn't have the ongoing Islamic attack, radical Islamic attack on Jews to this day. So I have no debate with those who say that here on the Supreme Court, we have three Jews, right? So that's 33% of the Supreme Court at the moment is Jewish. And, and, and what, the Jewish population of Americans, what, 10 times uh, representative 10 times as much there, and all three are, are very liberal, right? So what does it prove that all Jews are, do Jews control the Supreme Court? And, and, no, never, Jews... and never mind, they swear on the Bible, uh, you know, and then they're liberal. But, but here's, the, here's the other thing, though. Through American history, how many Jews have been on the Supreme Court? Very, very few. Through American history, how much influence have Jews had on our educational system? Until recently, it's, it's been relatively minor. In fact, Jewish people were, were cut out from anything. So the point is, we can have influence. And when we get away from the Bible, our influence can often be a negative influence, a worldly influence, a secular influence. I have no argument with that. But because we don't control stuff, because we don't run it, we end up getting killed. We end up getting slaughtered. Look, And, and your it, book discusses that thoroughly. Yeah, and look, if... Look at the UN. The UN is perpetually, perpetually condemning Israel. The same UN that doesn't condemn China for Tiananmen Square and didn't condemn or all the Islam stuff at that. Yeah, Saddam Hussein when when he tear gassed the Kurds and killed them thousands and and atrocities one after the other. And how how, how much does it condemn the, the the horrible war in Syria, which is Muslims killing Muslims for the most part and Christians stuck in the middle of it being slaughtered. It doesn't say anything about that, but consistently condemns Israel to the point that Nikki Haley had to call him out. If the Jews are all powerful, why aren't they running this? Why, why, if the Jews are so powerful, why were they kicked out of all these different countries? Well, that's a good point. Now, uh, the Dashing Rogue and somebody else has a good point here. USS Liberty was attacked for rebroadcasting the UN radio broadcast that aided the Egyptians during the war against Israel. Uh, against the Israeli-Egyptian war. And then uh, 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 somebody's, uh, Vinny says, Tolstoy became a Christian later in life uh, after he mass murdered, like, who know what was it, like 20,000 or 20 million people? 
Uh, and then uh, Joe says, Tolstoy was an intellectual liberal in the vein of Marx, but I'm not sure he was Jewish. So thanks for the corrections on those folks. And uh, let's see. Poor Jews created communism, killed millions of Christians. Uh, that's what free speech says. So, you know, it wasn't that Tolstoy, Stalin, and these people weren't, you know, giving the orders behind all that. It was the poor Jews. Now, um, you know, what do you have to say about that comment? All right. Okay. So, so number one, Jews were some of the people. Was Friedrich Engels a Jew, for example? Jews were some of the ideological formers of communism. Others were Gentiles. They ended up not leading the system, not controlling the system. They ended up being victims of the system. But again, they did it as secularists. They, they Show me where Karl Marx is quoting Torah and Talmud in terms of his foundation. These men did what they did as atheists. These did men well, did what and, they did. And he was strictly against God. I mean, that's the foundation of communism is it's an exactly. atheist ideology. Right. So ideology. Right. So you could either say that Jews by nature are evil and therefore doing these horrific things, or you could say when Jews reject the foundation of God and Torah, then because of their exceptional gifting or abilities or whatever, they can do a lot of harm. Again, I, I have no argument with that whatsoever, but then you have to flip things around. And, and you have to ask about the profound moral influence that's come to the world through Jewish people. Okay, or, and, and that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael, because, and, and you said the uh, Torah, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's the Old Testament. And when you understand that this is the foundation of Western law, uh, and, you know, what all things we hold as a, a higher, you know, social system, and then when you get all of this anti-Semitism stuff and all the people that want to kill all of the Jews, what, what they want to do is get rid of the biblical foundation of law. And then, and then so you have the neo-Nazis, which Todd and I showed last week, are Islamists at the top through the Thule Society and Baron von uh, Sabatendorf. And uh, you've got, you know, all of the Nazis or all of the Islamists within the Nazi party, and you have them all using the same talking points. Well, that points to me that they want to get rid of the Old Testament because they want to bring in Sharia law. So then you have to think a little more critically um, and say, well, is, is getting rid of Jews and the belief in the Old Testament, et cetera, a really good idea, all of you who you know, uh, spread all of the, uh, you know, the hate speech. And so, you know, is, are you trying to bring in Sharia law and uh, trying to cr uh, create another genocide? And to me, that's what it appears that they are doing because, you know, the neo-Nazis and the Islamists always use the exact same talking points. And, you know, uh, let me say one other thing. And I get into this and our hands are stained with blood. If folks order it, order the new edition, which, which comes out in September, because it's, it's expanded and with a lot of um, This one's small, material. so it's going to be a bigger book? Yeah, it'll, it'll be bigger. What I did also, that one has a, a, an, a bibliographical supplement in the back. We pulled that out and we're putting it online entirely. So that, that gives us a lot more room for documentation in the book. There it is signed. You got it. Uh, <laughs> that gives us more room for documentation in the book and, and for updating and expanding. But what becomes interesting is when you see that, for example, both white supremacists and black supremacists hate 
the Jews. That's interesting. And then, then you find that the Jews actually control the Vatican and the Jews actually control Freemasonry. And, the, and you start, you think, wait, wait a second. What, people actually believe this. I've done lectures, outreach lectures years back at Yale University, Columbia University. And I said, let's look at the phenomenon of anti-Semitism worldwide, what Jews are blamed for. And, and we, go, we go from the world of Islam to the world of atheistic communism. We go from Christian history, where, where Jews get bashed and maligned, to, to contemporary Japan. And we go from white supremacists to black supremacists. We look at some of the lies. We look at some of the things that have been repeated or are still believed to this day, one after another, after another, after another, after another. And then I say, okay, let's, let's try to connect the dots. Well, it's economic because Jews control the money. We show, okay, that doesn't work here. Well, it's, it's because Christianity, Christians were anti semitic Well, then we show how that doesn't work. And then, well, Islam, okay, but, it, but how does that affect atheists? And, and, and when you ultimately connect the dots, it's clear there's not a rational explanation for it. That, that ultimately, I look at a demonic conspiracy. You mentioned Satan as the father of lies as behind this. And I've done these lectures, Yale, Columbia, with faculty there, with students there, grads, and taking questions up to two hours. And no one can refute what I'm saying, that ultimately, it's the father of lies behind these things. Again, it doesn't mean that Jews cannot be criticized. It doesn't mean that Israel doesn't do things wrong. It, it doesn't mean that we whitewash Jewish leaders. You mean are, are they human too? Or is that what you're getting at? Oh, well, that's you're really stretching it there to, to humanize Jews. But that's oh, the issue. Be, well, be, you know, because we have to dehumanize certain groups to be able to, you know, spread all of this stuff and take things strictly out of context. Now, Truth Bites is saying over 33% of Jews own slaves. Now, uh, as we showed in the series on Islam, the uh, Islam was the foundation of slavery. They're still running the slave trade today, the black slave trade. Uh, in Islamic texts, uh, you can find discussions of slavery throughout, whereas in Jewish texts, you cannot. So, you know, are they uh, whom are you speaking of? Are they atheists? Are they Sabbateans who are crypto-Islamists, etc.? You have to be uh, more clear on who you're dis uh, well, you know, look, there discussing. Was, there was a, a book put out by, by Louis Farrakhan's organization years ago claiming that the Jews were primarily responsible or largely responsible for the, the horrific African slave trade. And then I believe it was either the Simon Wiesenthal Center or the ADL put out a complete massive refutation of that. But here's what's interesting. Jews have been scattered around the world and, and Jews have been oppressed and beaten down, but Jews have not been the ones owning slaves. They've been the ones driven out of countries. And let's look at Israel today. Is there slavery in Israel? Here's a, a sovereign Jewish nation, right. right? You've got religious Jews and secular Jews well, there. What about Libya right now? They still have open slave trade markets, thanks to uh, you know the Democrats and people like, uh, uh, what's her name, Hillary Clinton. Well, look, you have, I mean, countries like Saudi Arabia still have slavery. There's, there's not a dispute on that. But Israel, does Israel practice slavery? No, it doesn't. Well, Here you know, Peru only got rid of slavery in the 1960s. They don't talk about that one. Right. And here's the other thing. To the best of my knowledge, it is utterly false that there was a disproportionate number of Jews who owned slaves in America. But, but here, if 33% of American Jews own, slave, own slaves, if that's true, then they were better than a lot of the rest of America or just like much of America. I mean, what, what is that over 33% of Jews own slaves? 
over 33% of Americans own slaves. And, and, and in other words, what, well, what, what about this? what about the high number of blacks who own slaves? What about the Irish well, that's the slaves? origin of the trade in Africa was, right. was blacks and slaves. Right, 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 right. And, and what about the Irish slaves and all of the European slaves? And, you know, those are totally omitted from the discussion altogether. You don't talk about that. Right. But in, in, in any case, by the way, when I say 33 percent of America owns slaves, I'm not talking about every individual. I'm talking about when you had the Civil War, you were fairly evenly divided between those that were slaveholders and, and back that and those that were against it. But bottom line, even if you had Jews who were slave owners here, Jews are like everybody else. Uh, here, good qualities check it out. and St bad qualities. Steve Moss just nailed it. In other words, there have been atrocities from all kinds of groups. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yay, Steve gets it. Good job, man. Oh, well, listen, we just figured out something, though, Jeffrey. Mount Zion is in Kenya, the source of the Nile and the home of the real Hebrews. Ah, so we solved all those problems right there. By the way, I did, uh, while we were chatting, I did post a link that folks will find in the, in the chat on the USS Liberty. Uh, it's on a Jewish Myths and Facts website with details, information, and then a list of the various uh, investigations that have been done by U.S. Navy Court of Inquiry. What is it, like 15 different investigations that have been done on this, so folks can check it out. But, but listen, if Israel does something wrong, you know what happens within Israel? There are protests. There are protests taking place right now in Israel in the Ethiopian Jewish community because an, an Ethiopian teenager was shot. The Israelis claim that, that the soldier, the, the, the officer's life was threatened, but he shot at the ground just to warn, and the bullet ricocheted and killed the guy. Others say, no, 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 he shot this guy in cold blood. There are protests in the street over this, because that's what the Israelis do. When they think there is injustice, they have national uproars. Do you know there have been major protests in Israel, hundreds of thousands of people showing up when they believe that Israel was responsible for allowing a massacre of Palestinians? that hundreds of thousands of Israelis protested over that because they have a sense of justice, even though the nation needs the Lord and has all kinds of issues and problems. But the fact is the whole world looks at Israel and expects Israel to operate at a different standard than the surrounding nations. I wonder why. If the Jews are more evil than everybody, why does everyone expect them to act better than everybody? It's fascinating. Yeah, and we already addressed this. FX2Pi says, Jews rejected and killed Jesus Christ. But per Dr. Brown, oh, no, it's the Jews rejected Christ but did not kill him. Uh, we already addressed that. There was, you know, a couple few hundred Jews that were in the crowd. Not all Jews were even there. But you have to use a little more uh, critical thinking yeah, than uh, that. And Jesus even asked God to forgive the Jews for that. So why are you bringing it up 2,000 years later? Jesus said salvation is from the Jews in, in John 4, 22. Paul said in Romans 11, verses 28 and 29, that even though the Jews are enemies on your account for the gospel, they are loved by God on account of the patriarchs. And Paul says in Romans 9, 1 through 5, that his heart breaks for his own Jewish people to know the Lord and that the promises still remain to them. So yes, Jewish leaders gave Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, and they were held responsible for that by God. The Jewish nation ultimately was held responsible for rejecting Jesus, and the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed as an act of divine judgment, and the Jewish people have been scattered around the world because, yes, as a people, ultimately, 
We did not believe the witness of the Jewish apostles. But the fact is, all the first followers of Jesus were Jews. If you want to say the Jews killed Christ, then you also say the Jews followed Christ, and Jesus himself is a Jew. And not only so, but when you get to the book of Acts, you read that there are tens of thousands of Jews who are following Jesus and believing that he's the Messiah. So again, all I'm doing is rightly understanding the text, and many scholars will tell you that when the word Jew is used in the New Testament, it can refer to a Jewish religious leader, it can refer to a Judean, simply someone who leads in Judea, or it can refer to the Jewish people as a whole. And that's why you need to translate and do academic work properly. When I raised this to, to Dr. Jones, E. Michael Jones, on my show, he mocked it and said, look, maybe he's a little skeptical about scholarship because he was kicked out of a university for his moral stand years ago. So he's a little skeptical of scholarship. Well, uh, that's all dangerous to, to quote and footnote books and quote scholars. And then when a scholarly opinion against yours is, is brought forth, you reject it. So, so bottom line, the word of God says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. So Jesus died because God gave him for us. It's number one. Number two, it's our sins that put him to death. He died for our sins. Good number, point. Number, three, number three, he said, I lay down my life of my own accord. And number four, he prays forgiveness, as you mentioned, for those crucifying him. And when Peter preaches in Acts 3, he says to the Jewish leaders, you put him to death, but you did it in ignorance. So repent. Right, so the right. Well, isn't that what it's all about is repenting? And that's why he took on all of our sins in the first place. Exactly. If you, so don't, if you don't get the bigger picture, go watch uh, Passion of the Christ. That lays it out pretty well, in my opinion. Yeah. And look, bottom line is when you make a generalization about the people, the Jews killed Christ. Well, right. do you mean Peter? John, no, no, not those Jews. Well, what about what about the Jews that were hailing him <laughs> from the Messiah? What about the end of Matthew 21, where it says that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were afraid to arrest him because the crowds, the Jewish crowds, thought he was a prophet? So which Jews are you talking about? Well it, said. And, and, and all I'm saying is being nuanced, because right. through history, this has led to bloodshed against Jewish people. Now, nuanced and accurate, and we can all agree. Yeah, let's yeah break down, break, study things, get specific, and you know, and focus on facts, not sweeping generalizations. James says Jews own nearly every slave ship, and the lion's share of slaves. He knows it. We've already discussed that. <sighs> also, uh, it's the Islamic. But by the way, listen, I, I would. I would admit this is true, except the Mossad and the Council of National Policy and all the other things that I'm a secret member of, they won't allow me to tell the truth about the slave trade. Be of careful. Somebody, somebody will edit that and, and take it out of context. Be careful, even though you're saying it with a grin on your face. That, yeah. yeah, with a little sarcasm there. Right. It, now, it, here's the thing. It, it, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, and the Talmud are clearly against slavery. And if you want to find out about slavery, read the Islamic text. And here's another thing. Why did Thomas Jefferson found the U.S. Marine Corps? And I'll, I'll clue you folks into this. He founded the U.S. Marine Corps because the Islamic ships kept attacking American ships and enslaving our sailors and holding them for ransom. So the very guy who didn't want a standing army ended up creating the U.S. Marine Corps because Islamic ships 
kept taking American slaves, sailors' slaves, and holding our, our, our sailors for ransom. So, you know, there is a bit of history for you, but, you know, go through and read the Torah, the, read the Talmud, because the Talmud, most of what I've read is clearly against slavery, and where they, where they, or there was a, there are some sections in there, if you take a slave woman, you have to have her for three months or whatever before you can marry her, and and if she's younger, I forget the age limit, if she's under 16 or whatever, you have to set her free, I forget what they say, whereas Islam does not say anything like that, and I'll yeah. have to get back to the exact quotes on that later on, but... Well, there's a there's a friendly debate I did with Old Testament Semitic scholar Josh Bowen about the Bible and slavery. W within the Old Testament system, there were laws for slavery, but this was, for the most part, an indentured servanthood. Uh, for the most part, this was something, for example, the Hebrew slave, he'd go free in the seventh year. Uh, if he was mistreated, he'd have to be freed immediately. It, 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 this was common in the ancient world, but Israel was a nation of redeemed slaves. And for example, on the Sabbath, everybody rested. God judged the nation when they mistreated slaves. There was no notion that what, what we've seen in the African slave trade or people being kidnapped and sold into slavery in one nation and bought by another, that was apparent. In, in fact, in the Ten Commandments, lo tignov, do not steal, was understood by traditional Judaism to include kidnapping because that would be stealing a person. So there'd be a fundamental law against that. And I, I did po post a link that sets the record straight about Jews and slavery as well. You know the thing that's wild though, Jan, is that you and I can be misinformed about something, we're human beings, right? Or, or we, can, we can have done research and, and not done it thoroughly enough and come to wrong conclusions. But when we get up and share what we do, we're doing it as carefully and accurately as possible. And generally speaking, if we're not sure of a position, we'll say, I need to research more. The thing that tells you how wrong the others are is when they speak a lie, you deny the lie and they say, you know what I'm saying is true. Oh, yeah. And then you're a Mossad agent, Zionist, CIA, sellout, FBI agent, yada, yada, you know, and they'll spread so much uh, uh, ad hominem, so many ad hominem lies to make sure that they try to cover every single possible base out there rather than just saying, you know what? I'm wrong. Maybe I should do a little more research on this. You yeah, know, so or, or they, call, just to they, say, they name call okay. us for their own intellectual shortcomings. Yeah, e even if we just say, okay, we have a disagreement here, fine. But when someone posts what they post, as crazy as it is, I give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think, okay, they actually, they, they believe that. Yet when we speak the truth and refute the lie, they say, you know you're lying and not telling the truth. So that's, that's the concerning thing. And I see someone posting over and over, the Jews killed Christ, that's the, the Jews. So that means all, all the Jews. That means, Peter, why not say all humanity? You want an see, accurate statement? This, this person, this person FX2Pi, Josh, Josh, yes, but the Jews delivered Christ up to be crucified by the Romans. But notice how we, after we just discussed this, the Jews. See, so you have to use, you know, okay, so there was a, you know, a couple few hundred Jews there, but the, they use as, as sweeping a generalization fallacy as they possibly can to include all of Judaism as if all Jews were at this event and they all simultaneously delivered them up. You already addressed it, that it was specific Jewish leaders, and they did it fearfully at the same time. So, you know, this whomever is hiding behind this FX2PY account, 
clearly lacks, you know, critical thinking and honesty, you know. But how about this here? IHS. This is a good thing, though, because this is the junk is coming to the surface. The definition of Jew is to sin. So this is I'm, I'm really pleased to see this. Right. The definition of Jew is to sin because this is the, the perfect example of the irrationality of anti-Semitism. And the moment you expose it, the, the, pe- the anti-Semites come out of, of the woodwork. And, and by, by the way, by the way, uh, Vinny says modern Jews reject Christ. Yes, each generation is responsible. In other words, the majority of the Jewish people through the ages have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So those people are responsible for that. And because of that, I believe they are lost and cannot be redeemed. I, I believe that. It's a hard thing to say, but I believe it. But that does not mean that they were there or responsible for the crucifixion. See, uh, when, when I was a brand new believer and this, this rabbi gave me the book about the history of anti-Semitism in the church, and I saw how Jews were literally burned at the stake for killing God. They were accused of deicide. The Jews are Christ killers. Therefore, my Jewish neighbor that I happen to owe some money to, it'd be convenient to get rid of him, that if he won't be baptized, he should be put to death. This is the type of garbage that has been spewed through the centuries. And and what's remarkable is I don't see any of the anti-Semites here saying, yeah, we agree with Paul in Romans 11, 26, that at the end of the age, Israel will be saved. And we agree with Paul that the Jewish people, because of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are still loved by God. And we agree with Jesus that salvation is from the Jews. I wonder why they're so selective. It reminds me of the Nazis who put out their own edition of the New Testament and literally removed all the passages that spoke well about Israel and the Jewish people because it was against their theology. Akilah says, so any criticism of Jews is anti-Semitic. Didn't we just cover that over the last hour and a half? It's like, good yeah, That's where we started. Here, here. Oh, uh, man. Didn't we just, didn't we criticize Israel and criticize Jews who've done bad and say, be specific and rather than using the Jews and sweeping generalizations? And, you know, a lot of this stuff is like the Sabbatean Jews who are crypto-Islamists doing a lot of bad stuff, or atheists who do a lot of bad stuff. And then because of their last name, the yeah. Jews get the blame. But people don't but here, have just, the, the, you it, know, the wherewithal to be specific about it. Just just to look, look at this, I posted the article I talked about right at the beginning of the show. It is not anti-Semitic to criticize Israel fairly. I could say that a thousand times a day. And when I'm done, someone says, oh, so you can't criticize the Jews? And not only so... Here, IHS, repeating, thank you, whoever you are, IHS, thank you. It's okay for a Jew to steal from the Goyim. So here we have it, Jan. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, here. You know, didn't I already show that quote on screen? Isn't that from the Talmud uh, number seven? Let me show that again here because I've already shown it because, you know, people actually just regurgitate dumb yeah. stuff, you know, a lost object. But uh, let me see if I can find that. Uh, here, hold on a second. Well, it's going to take me a little bit longer to find yeah, that one. But, but, but you, here, know, you went through all the time, effort to research and, and, it, and if, right now. Right. And I did the actual research through the actual Talmud. And, oh, well, you know, if I if people disagree, you know, anybody who disagrees, you know, it's like they don't understand that, you know, we're actually doing the research. It's not about disagreeing. A contradiction is always a lie or an error. Did you actually go through and fact check this stuff? You know, and I actually 
have spent many, many, many hours going through, you know, see, here's the <clears throat> one of the false ones, Sanhedrin 57a. A Jew need not pay a genteel or Cuthian wages owed to him for work. And so here's the entire breakdown. We can see where the uh, quotes come from. And then we read down and we can see the conclusions of this, you know, and how all of this is false. But what they do is they take these stupid fake Talmud quotes out of context and then think that they're actually repeating yeah. facts, you know, that they never fact-checked, they've never cracked a book in their life, probably not at least since elementary school, and they think that, you know, they're actually telling some truth that we're trying to hide. You know, and you and I are Zionist, you know, Mossad agent sellouts because we actually fact-checked the actual books and documentation. I mean, every single paragraph here, folks, is linked to the actual Talmud Yep. So that we can go in and read what it says in the Talmud. Every and, and, single line, folks. And, and just to explain this, for and again, for those who don't know me, my PhDs in, in Semitic languages, Near Eastern languages and literatures from New York University. These are fields I have lived in and published in academic journals, etc. But when you go to the links you have there to sfaria.org, which is a massive compendium for free of, of Jewish literature online, traditional literature, when, when you get to the Talmudic text, when you look at them in English, you'll see some of the print is in bold and some is it in regular caps. This is the expanded translation of Rabbi Adin Steinschultz. And the text that's in black, bold, that's the actual words of the Talmud in Hebrew or Aramaic. But it's so concisely expressed that when you translate it into English, you need to expand it. That's what he does there. So you're getting a translation with commentary from an Orthodox rabbi. But, you know, the, the thing as I sit and watch and just see people uh, spouting things, you know, the FX to, to pie person, you're only allowed to say the Jews when you praise them, but not when you criticize them. That's one of the lies that gets repeated all the time. And then I even deal with it in the article that I printed today, trying once again to deal with the lies. Someone said, well, what can you say about the Jews? Well, anything that's truthful. But if I say the Jews in America, the, there, there are roughly, whatever it is, five and a half million. The Jewish population in America is roughly five million, whatever it is, okay? That's an accurate statement. If I say the Jews are Democrats, no, the vast majority are Democrats, but there are many Jewish Republicans. The Jews are liberals. Well, many are, but you've got the Dennis Prager's See. and Ben Shapiro's and David Horowitz's, et cetera. So it's, the Jews are really smart. Well, many are, but Not many all. aren't. Yeah. Well, and this it's FX really two pie person, so he says that I made up about him saying the Jews. So what I'm doing is I'm quoting him saying it. So yeah, there you go. Uh, you lied, not me. So good job. Well, you know the the good thing is as we as we've gone, I see now a few minutes past our, our ninety yeah. minutes. But the good thing is as we started to interact with the with the chat. All it is is everyone just came out and performed on cue. The people <laughs> repeated the standard lies. Then when we refute the lies, then they have to attack us personally and manufacture all kinds of nonsense. And look, Satan is the father of all lies. Yeah, I'm in dialogue day and night with people I differ with, including Muslims. Uh, not as much with Muslims, but I'm in dialogue with a Catholic yesterday, and we were sharing our differences between Catholic and evangelical. I'm in constant interaction with Orthodox rabbis about Jesus. We're going back and forth and arguing and debating. I interact with atheists and others. We have our differences, 
And I was fine to have my differences with E. Michael Jones on my show. People can watch the whole interview. They'll see it was fair. And, and I, I didn't even try to debate. We just had, had civil dialogue. I'm fine to do it, but let it be based on facts and information. And then well if we said. have our differences, fine. Don't let it be based on myths and fables and lies. And remember, to the Jewish community, the religious Jewish community, the ultra-Orthodox community, I have been called public enemy number one because of doing effective outreach to my Jewish people about Jesus being the Savior and the Lord. So I am the last one that the Jewish community wants defending them or defending. <laughs> I've got a 300 page book explaining why I don't accept the authority of the Talmud. But any, anyway, we've, um, we've had some interesting interaction. Uh, I'd love to get you on my show. We'll continue some yeah, of the, you know, and I'm going to have to have you back. This is big. I, I had a lot of fun doing this show with you. So uh, let's do that, you know, and uh, I'd be happy to go on your show as well. But uh, I gotta, I'm going to have to get this Talmud document uh, finished. That's going to cause a huge uproar when I publish that thing, you know. I'm sure it will. But God, God bless you for taking the time to do it. And I still want to finish uh, going through it with any comments I have. But I, again, when I saw Lloyd's comments in the YouTube chat, I thought, oh, a breath of, a breath of fresh air. Someone actually studied it and learned it. And understand where it's coming from. And then on controversial passages, I didn't just rely on studying it myself because it's Talmud's very complex. I sent things to rabbi friends and said, how would you respond to this? What's your take on this? And of course, they're all appalled and shocked by the view that the Talmud sanctions pedophilia or whatever. So here, as I'm trying to win them over to Jesus, we're exposing the lies about the, the Talmud. But anyway, listen, can you get me a copy of my membership card to the CNP because I need to add that <laughs> to my Mossad card. And, Apparently and, and I got this. it in the mail, but I never got my copy. So I don't know. I didn't even know what it was until they posted it. So same here. Same here. Well, look, we, we, we did a great job of tricking everyone tonight to think that we really you got to be careful being sarcastic like that because some of these people don't have the wherewithal know. to know you're being, you're, you're joking. You know, I, I understand. Uh, sometimes so. it's hard to resist, but you're right. That's a word of wisdom there. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, everybody just uh, please be aware that my channel was demonetized along with so many other Christian conservative shows. Please, uh, Donate, support the show. I've put the uh, links up in the chat. Please uh, go to Patreon. Please subscribe to the channel as well and uh, hit the alerts button there. But, uh, again, please support the show. We can't do it without you. Uh, hope you know. We'll see if we can get the show re-monetized soon, but they put me on a month timeout. Who knows if they'll allow it to be monetized again. They don't, you know, they don't yeah. – uh, uh, allow uh, or like Christian and conservative shows being monetized anymore. It's uh, you know, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, hey, can I world. just give a, 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 a quick invite? Uh, my, my show airs on the Ask Dr. Brown channel, ASKDR Brown. Tomorrow, July 4th, we're on three to four in the afternoon uh, live. But uh, to all those that attacked my position tonight, uh, to the anti-Semites who were there, please call. Give me a call. On the, we, we have open lines. We take phone calls. Give oh, me that sounds call. fun. Present your evidence. They can't. Let's they do it. They only have a list of talking points. It's like a laundry list, and the neo-Nazis, the GDL, and the uh, Islamic apologists all use the exact talking points over and over and over, and none of them have ever fact-checked any of it. No, no. 
Well, anyway, truth will triumph in the end. Second Corinthians 13, eight, Paul said, we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. So I feel bad for those on the other side because truth is going to ultimately triumph. Well said. All right, Dr. Michael Brown, great show tonight. I really appreciate you uh, coming on. We'll have to do this again. Let me know when you want me on your show. I'd be happy to do it. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Good night, everybody. Please support the show. Need all the support we can get. Please see Patreon. Go to the logosmedia.com website. Or uh, happy to accept your Bitcoin donations as well. Take care, everyone. Good night. Good night.